John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand everywhere on the 710 Seattle Sports app. Now, John Clayton. And, of course, we're getting through this week here, getting ready for a Sunday night game with Seattle taking on the Minnesota Vikings. A pretty good matchup, one that... Kirk Cousins has always had some difficulty in as far as his big games on on night football. Hasn't done well, and Seattle's done pretty well against Cousins and also the Minnesota Vikings. So we'll get into that. Lots of injury stuff going on in the NFL. Got uh, you know basketball that's continuing along. Of course, the Storm get their championship. We're just waiting now for the Lakers to claim theirs because they're up 3-1. to one. So let's get into the five biggest stories of the day. Number one. Uh, Quinn is, is, went through the walkthrough today. Uh, he'll practice tomorrow, um, and we'll we'll see how that how that fits uh, for him coming back. He, he's he's determined to try to get back to this ball game, so we'll see what happens there. Jordan's still he's he's still working on, on coming back. He's not able to to move around yet, so um, it's going to be hard for him to get back this week. Uh, Jamal's still going to be another week away. Unfortunately, he's not going to make it back. So the long list last week it was twenty five. Uh, eight players did not practice yesterday. Eleven uh, it was of the twenty six that didn't practice on uh, Wednesday uh, were limited, and so you had eight guys not practice, eleven that were limited, and another seven that were out there uh, at full go, even though they had some injuries. But uh, as Pete Carroll just described, it looks like you got at least three players that aren't going to be able to play on Sunday. Jordan Brooks with his knee uh, won't have uh, Jamal Adams; he's not going to be there. Nico Thorpe uh, looks like he may have a core injury that could be much much longer uh, so that's not good they're hoping to see if they can get Quentin Dunbar back I have a better idea today because they kind of kept him out yesterday but he did go through the walkthrough and they definitely want to get him back on the field Lane O'Hill we'll see about his back and he didn't practice yesterday then the limited players were Chris Carson with the knee these are just precautionary things Will Disley with the Achilles Shaquille Griffin with the shoulder Carlos Hyde with the shoulder Vincent Mayola but uh, I think all are expected to be able to play so at least at this stage you know, you've got uh, you know Brooks and Hill, no, Brooks and Thorpe. They're not playing, and then certainly Jamal Adams not going to be able to play. So going to be important to try to get as many of these guys in. Of course, I think that you can see that this team is really looking forward to the bye week where they get a chance to take some time off and then try to catch up and get their health together and then start coming back, taking on Arizona, San Francisco when some division games start. Because remember, it's like they've already played half their non-division games once they get the game done on Sunday and they can come out 5-0. and Then now it's a matter to make do in what's considered to be the toughest division in football, a division right now once Jimmy Garoppolo gets back, and that may happen this week, that has four good quarterbacks. We're going to talk to Hall of Famer LaDainian Tomlinson at 1030 to talk about Seattle's explosive offense and where that could go. Number two. And I can tell you that a lot of people around the league, fair or not, are disappointed in the Tennessee Titans. And I know the Titans will say that they obeyed the protocols in speaking to people there last weekend. They were very defensive and very supportive of the actions that they had taken and adhering to the protocols that have been in place. But again, there's two sides to every story. While they maintain their innocence, I had another person say, this is not an issue with the protocols. This is an issue with a team not listening to the protocols. 
Yeah, a very bad situation. That was Adam Schefter talking about the Tennessee Titans. It was another positive test and another one that they're rechecking today. So now you're talking about 23 positive tests since, uh, you know, the, what, two, a little over, almost a week or so. I mean, this all started, I think, with the 24th of September. So they've had 24 tests, 23 positive tests. And it's starting to look right now like they're not going to be able to play this game. They have the possibility of moving the Buffalo-Tennessee game. And think about this. And this is where I think that the Titans deserve the major sanctions as much as you possibly can. Some of the biggest penalties in NFL history. Because, you know, what's the word depriving or these Tennessee's 3-0. and Okay, Pittsburgh didn't get a chance to play, and they are three and zero. Then you've got the Buffalo Bills four and zero, and you know they were having to almost think about moving the game back to Monday and Tuesday. And then of course they got Kansas City following that on Thursday and moving that game. But the Tennessee Titans is, are the team that's kind of like the Miami Marlins at the beginning of the year, and something is major wrong. We know on when uh, yesterday Paul Kuharski was able to post out the fact that they actually had fifteen players, including Ryan Tannehill, over at a high school trying to do something. Something last uh, Wednesday, and we find out that uh, you know the team was told do not have player gatherings during any of this time the rest of the season. And sure enough, they warned them last week. They warned them this week, and the day after they were warned last week, all of a sudden they're all out there and 15 players. And so that's a violation. So you know some heavy sanctions are coming down there. And so it's a really really bad thing. And we'll see if there was a party that started all this or what it might have been. But you know it, as, as Adams saying now sure sounds like the players aren't listening or more than anything else maybe the team's not telling them and something has to give here because you know they're ruining the season again you can see that you can play i know like for example new england you know they're being investigated right now because you know they have stefan gilmore along with cam newton and a, 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 a defensive tackle on the practice squad, they're testing positive, but then they had all the tests come back today and nobody knew was added to the list. You know, Raiders had their tests uh, with a guy testing positive, Maurice Hurst, and they, they're all clean. So a uh, bad situation in Tennessee, something has to give. Number three. I mean, obviously Tom's a tremendous player and had a lot of success in this league, one of the greatest of all time um, at the quarterback position. And, uh, you know, we've played against each other uh, really just one time and then a little preseason. Obviously a great competitor and look forward to playing them on Thursday. Night game, Tampa Bay going against the Chicago Bears Thursday night football. Nick Foles goes against Tom Brady. And what the irony of that one is, is that Nick Foles, the backup quarterback who took over for an injured Carson Wentz in Philadelphia, beat Tom Brady uh, in Super Bowl uh, 52. And so uh, now you got Tampa Bay. They lost the opener to New Orleans, but they've now got three wins. But also, here's the problem that Tampa Bay has. You know, most of their skilled players are all injured. I mean, they won't have LaShawn McCoy. They won't have Leonard Fournette. Chris Godwin's out. I know that Mike Evans is questionable. O.J. Howard tore his Achilles tendon. So a lot of players that Tom Brady's not going to have. And, of course, uh, Nick Foles did not have a good game last week. Now the question is, if he struggles, is he, are they going to go back to Mitch Trubisky? Kickoff is going to be at 520 tonight, back on Fox, uh, NFL Network, and Amazon Prime. And so a uh, big game, Tampa Bay going against Chicago. Two teams right now that are 3-1. and one. Number four. It's going to be a big challenge. He's been very explosive. The run game for them is uh, is number one. Their whole team and the way the whole offense revolves around the ability to run the ball and play action pass. So that's uh, numero uno for them to to run the ball, and it's uh, and it's numero uno for us to to stop the run. So it should be a, a great challenge for both teams. 
Well, that's Ken Norton Jr. talking about uh, what you have to stop right now because there's some pretty good weapons on the offense. You know, Kirk Cousins, the quarterback, Dalvin Cook, the running back, Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson at wide receiver. Jefferson, of course, right now the hottest rookie receiver in the league. But the Vikings, because of their bad defense right now, they are one and three and they've made a bunch of mistakes on offense. Now, we'll find out uh, in the next couple of days as he starts to get on the field and showing where he is, <clears throat> whether Snacks Harrison, who signed from the practice squad, will be on the active roster. Uh, that could be something that could help Dalvin Cook and stopping him. So Kirk Cousins, of course, uh, throws for a lot of yards, but uh, will it be enough if Russell Wilson goes out and continues to be hot and getting a lot of points? We'll talk to Michael Bumpus at 11 o'clock to preview the Sunday night football game. Number five. So the tying run in scoring position now. Rod a roll fires. Swing and a ball driven in the air out to center field. Going back, Bellinger. Back some more. Back some more. Leaps. And he made the grab. What a catch. Bellinger stole a homer that would have given the Padres the lead. What a play. So Cody Bellinger, as you just heard, had a home run robbery uh, that made the difference in the game. It was 6-5 to five in a very chippy game between the Dodgers and the Padres. Now the Dodgers lead the series 2 to nothing. had a bench-clearing b- brawl at one point. But you kind of get the feeling going in, even though the Padres have really ramped up and they've gone through their set- setback and came back and now are a, a, a playoff team, but still the Dodgers are the Dodgers, and the Dodgers have such a big payroll and so many good players, I think they're going to be hard to stop. Meanwhile, Atlanta took a 2 nothing lead over Miami. They got a shutout win in game two. So in the American League right now, it's starting to look as though, although it's still early, that it'll be the Dodgers and against Atlanta coming up. You know, of course, it's a you know seven-game series, so you have to win four. Then in the American League, the A's at least avoided elimination by beating the Astros 9-7. to seven. Uh, So it's a 2-1 to one advantage right now for the Astros. And then uh, Tampa Bay, you know, they lead their series 2-1, to one, surprising over the Yankees. Now they got an 8-4 to four victory. That's the one surprise going on today. There's another four games slated for today. Action starts at 11 a.m. on TBS. Uh, baseball in full swing. Hey, you can listen to the show via the 710 Sports app. It's powered by the Dubin Law Group. Coming up, we're going to go under further review and uh, find out what uh, you know what's going on with the observations of the Vikings. Brock Hewitt's going to talk a little bit about that, and of course, we'll get into the Vikings coming up here. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. <laughs> Under further review with John Clayton. We'll review the play. More news out of Tennessee. They did get a second positive. So now we're up to 24 uh, staff members and players and about, a, what, a dozen players that have tested positive for COVID-19. Unbelievable. Uh, no official word on what they're going to do with the game. But the facility in Nashville now remains closed today, closed tomorrow. And it looks pretty bad right now as far as what should happen to the Titans. And, you know, I would have to think there's probably no way that they're going to be able to play this game between Buffalo and Tennessee. And, of course, uh, one of the thoughts is to maybe forfeit. But then one of the problems with that is that, uh, you know, that that would certainly affect the playoffs uh, as far as if Tennessee is going to be a playoff team at 3-0 and and all that stuff. Same thing with Buffalo. But in the end, also, all the players would have to be paid even though there's no game. So, 
Forfeiture, I think, right now is one of the last options, but something serious should come down on the Titans and the players, and they are also checking out that not just that Wednesday or the 30th last week that they had a practice with uh, 15 players, including Ryan Tannehill. There may be multiple times they were out there on the field. We'll see about that, but that's where they're checking into. But, of course, we're checking into a Minnesota Viking team that's coming into town as it's come in so the last couple of years, whether it's in preseason or regular season games for a Sunday night game. You know, they're powerful on offense. Certainly, Dalvin Cook's playing his best. And then you've got, uh, you know, Kirk Cousins, who's been up and down at quarterback, but can be up at any time and do a good job. I know Brock Hewitt was on today talking about uh, the week four matchup. He gave his observations, uh, you know, coming up against with uh, Danny and Gallant. Brock, you watched the Minnesota Vikings last week against the Houston Texans. Do they look like a 1-3 team? Are they a mess? Or do they look like a team that's maybe figuring it out? Well, they are a group that's got some potency on offense. Uh, I I don't think there's any question about it. I I don't think they're going to score 10 points or 20 points. They've got an opportunity in Dalvin Cook, who's, who's one of the great home run hitters in the game. Their young receiver, Justin Jefferson, they didn't start until two weeks ago, and he's now had back-to-back 100-yard games and is, a, and, is a, and is a difference maker, kind of replaces Stephon Diggs. So you've got Thielen and, and Jefferson to, to contend with. So they've got some offensive potency. Defensively, they're below average. Defensively, you should have every opportunity to, uh, to, to pick on the secondary, to pick on their young corners. Um, their defensive line is, is very average as well. Unique Ngakwe, they make the move forward. But he can't be a one-man show. So, you know, I, I think this is a game the Seahawks can score 30-plus. And I think the national audience can be entertained, as they usually are in prime time with Seahawk games that always seemingly go down to the wire. But, yeah, this is one that if you score in the 30s, I think you should prove, feel pretty comfortable you'll find a way to win. Do they miss Stephon Diggs? They did week one and two, Danny. Yeah, when, when we had them uh, in their opener against Green Bay and they were playing a guy by the name of B.C. Johnson, uh, that, that was a dramatic step back from Stephon Diggs. Uh, Justin Jefferson is just a, a baller. He's actually who the Patri- or the Packers wanted in this draft when they were sitting there at 25 or so, and they were really hoping that he would fall to them. Uh, ultimately, he does not. He goes 22 to Minnesota, kind of like Philly was hoping Earl would fall to them eventually in that draft. and. And he didn't. The Seahawks snagged him before the Eagles could get him. Uh, he, he's, he's smooth, man. He does not look like a rookie at all. And rookie receivers, by the way, if you've taken a little look in the league, uh, they've not really had too difficult a time. C.D. Lamb is way up in production. Justin Jefferson leads all rookies in yards. So I, I would have said to you, Danny, coming off my week one when I saw them, like, ooh, yeah, they really missed Stephon. And they're going to try to just grow this rookie in the slot. Not anymore. They're playing him at split end. They're moving him all over the place and between he and cook those are two guys you better tackle right you better tackle in space or they're going to turn 10 yards to 40 yards to you know to points on the board yeah, and that's why I think that uh, you know it'd be good to get Quentin Dunbar back just to kind of strengthen what they're going to be doing in the secondary. You know, the Seahawks problems in the secondary that have been pretty bad so far this year, particularly in the second half. But again, they make enough on the big stops to be able to do it. But sometimes that can come back and betray you. And this is a game where you know there's enough weapons right now for the Vikings that this can come back and betray them. So they need to have as good of a game as they can. But you also realize the way this game is set up at league wide, you know, there's going to be points scored, and that's what the Vikings are able to. 
to do. The difference is, I think what you're looking at is that uh, this is now probably the second weakest defense. And again, on paper is one thing, because uh, you wouldn't say that about the Dallas Cowboys, but then you watch the Dallas Cowboys perform. I know that uh, you know ESPN Analytics did uh, three of the four or five worst defensive tackles in the league as far as you know stopping the run all are in Dallas right now. And then you look at some of the things that happen to the Minnesota Vikings. And again, this is the inevitable thing. And you watch it happen when they broke up the Legion of Boom. You watched it with uh, because you can't keep everybody making over $10 million a year. So this was the year where after seven years of being together on defense, they had to shed some things on defense. And so what they shed was defensive tackle Linville Joseph, who was making over $10 million a year. They had to cut uh, Everson Griffin, who was making over $10 million a year. Then Xavier Rhodes, they cut him. He was playing terrible last year. They're two other cornerbacks they weren't able to keep in free agency and so uh, you know they had to shed that so now you're down two defensive tackles you're down or a defensive end a defensive tackle they brought in Michael uh, Pierce from the Baltimore Ravens gave him a three-year 27 million dollar contract but like a few defensive tackles they didn't want to play in COVID-19 and so they uh, he opted out so they have a big hole at defensive tackle now uh, you know they still have Smart Stevens a former Seahawk who you know went from Minnesota to Seattle and the Minnesota back. Now he has to play the nose. Uh, then they lose Anthony Barr at linebacker. So they've got a lot of things that have gone wrong, but they did get unique in Dockway. And you're thinking, okay, maybe they can get through. But then all of a sudden, Daniil Hunter, he ends up getting the neck problem. And there's a chance that he may have to get surgery and miss the rest of the season. Because if they had Hunter and Ndokwe, now you're talking about two defensive ends can probably combine for 25 sacks and really get that defense humming. But that's not the case right now. And so now you have the combination that you've got Unique and Dockway who, uh, you know, can be double teamed. You've got uh, three young cornerbacks out there who have either, you know, one's had an injury, but two rookies that have to play a lot. That's a rep- recipe for disaster. You saw that with Atlanta against Seattle. You saw that with the uh, Dallas Cowboys because, you know, they had uh, Anthony Brown that was out. And so you put all that together and it was going to be a struggle just to be able to try to, you know, stop a passing off offense like Seattle's and of course you would imagine that Seattle's going to continue their trend of now maybe passing a little more on first down than running but also in a game like this I think that uh, you really want to also establish the run and try to make it a little bit easier but the key right now is to get off to that fast start and then put the Vikings in a position where they have to try to you know make throws make plays and try to pass the ball so Curtis I think at this stage that uh, what you're looking at is that uh, the Seahawks you know have the easy ability to outscore the Vikings and if they can do that then it's going to be tough I think for the Vikings to come back and try to win yeah Minnesota's defense right now not not so hot as you mentioned uh, they gave up what 43 points 28 points 31 points then 23 points uh, in their four games this year. Now, they do have Unique Ngakwe. A lot of people were wondering what's his production going to be like without Daniil Hunter on the other side. He's saw his playing time increase each week from 56% in week one, uh, the percentage snaps he played on defense, to 83% in week four against Houston. And with that, his production has also gone up with that. He's gotten uh, four sacks on the season. He had two just this past Sunday. So he's actually been playing pretty well despite not having uh, a lot of help there on the defensive line. John, the Seahawks have had – they faced Ngakwe before when he was with Jacksonville. 
how much do you think he's going to impact the game on Sunday? No, he'll be a factor. There's no question. But uh, I think now this will be a good test to see how this offensive line has improved. And you can see that uh, the offensive line has been better. And of course, uh, you know, people did not believe that when uh, you know people were saying that during the off season. But I think what you're seeing is that the, you know they're getting better play from Brandon Shell than they did Jermaine Effetti. Certainly, they're not getting the penalties that Effetti uh, had. Uh, then you know I think that. Uh, you can see that Ethan Posick's done a good job at center, and now it's a matter of, you know, is Dockway going to be rushing against Dwayne Brown or Brandon Shell or whoever it's going to be, and how they can try to at least, you know, keep the pressure away from Russell Wilson. You know, that's the thing. There's been times so far where Russell's had three, 3.4 seconds to be able to throw the football, and when he has that, he can really get the plays downfield. But I think it's just a matter of and of course, you know, one of the things that they've done, and I think this will help the mission too, is that, uh, you know, they, they've gone more two tight ends. Now, in the last game, they went a little more three receiver sets, but uh, in this game, I think this is going to be more two tight ends because they went from 11% two tight ends last year to roughly 30%. Right now, it's down to about maybe 28% uh, two tight ends. But overall, the two tight ends give you an extra guy to be able to, to go block and, and be able to take care of that. Yeah, and I think this game, I look at the Vikings 1-3 and three record, John, and this team, the pieces add up to, to something that's much better than 1-3, and three, but knowing the Seahawks, knowing how they, they take each week seriously, I can't imagine they take their foot off the gas pedal at all against Minnesota despite their record, and I, I mean, this is a Minnesota team that's been in the playoffs, you know, for a good stretch now, uh, this is you know, it's a good team despite their record, and I think the Seahawks definitely know what's at stake on Sunday. Yeah, no doubt. And of course, what's at stake right now is a chance to go five and zero in you know a schedule, particularly a non-division schedule that they they can maybe go nine and one. I still think it's going to be a tough game to win in Buffalo, but uh, hey, you, you can never underestimate anything, particularly the way Russell Wilson's playing right now. Okay, and of course you can listen to the, you can tell your smart speaker to play 710 ESPN Seattle. Remember, you can always listen to 710 on your smart speaker or the app. Coming up next, we're going to talk to Ladanian Tomlinson from the NFL Network, Hall of Fame running back, get a little bit on the Seahawk offense and more. John Clayton Show 710 ESPN Seattle. It's John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines studio. Two hours every day, 10 to noon. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand on the 710 Seattle Sports app. We are pleased to be joined by Ladanian Tomlinson from the NFL Network, one of the all-time great running backs in NFL history. You can follow him on Twitter at LT underscore slash 21. That's LT with that little line at the bottom, 21. Thursday Night Football continues this week with the Bucks and a pretty good game against the Chicago Bears on Fox. Fox, NFL Network, and Amazon Prime Video. And so, LT, it's like uh, we have never seen uh, scoring like this, at least in the NFL. We saw it in the AFL. Uh, offensive numbers like we're seeing. Are you liking what you're seeing so far, or are you surprised at what you're seeing so far from the start of the season? As a fan, John, I'm happy um, at what I'm seeing right now. I, I think it's great for the game to have you know, this wide-open type of style of throwing the football around and spread offenses and, you know, really challenging these defenses vertically and horizontally. Um, and, and it makes, you know, it makes for fun football. It, it really does when you see teams like Patrick Mahomes that can, that, that can go up and down the field uh, at any time and the way they do it with such grace. And it's fun to watch. Um, but, 
you know, at the same time, I think there are a lot of variations of offenses that are be run that are being ran at this particular time. You think about Kansas City offense, and then you look at the other end of the spectrum, and then you have Baltimore's offense. They put up points as well. So I think the variations of offenses in the National Football League is what makes it fun, and that's why defenses are having a hard time week to week keeping up with these offenses. I know the one that you'd love the most is the fact that uh, you know more teams are copying what goes on with San Francisco's running game with Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay down with the Los Angeles Rams in the sense that you know it, it's a massive increase in pre-snap motion. I mean, I think we're up to almost like 20% league-wide right now as far as pre-snap motion. What problem does that cause and how... What what would your career be like even better had you got a chance to uh, get those that type of pre-snap motion on running plays? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because it, it really puts the defense a lot of time at a disadvantage, uh, meaning, you know, they a lot of times they can't outflank you. A defense always likes to have one extra defender than the offense has. And sometimes when you pull that motion over, it, it you know, they get outflanked, meaning they don't have enough – defenders on that side of the ball that the motion had just went to in order to, you know, kind of get their numbers in a, a advantageous um, situation. So it, it's, it's really interesting. I like it because it really identifies for the offensive player more of what you're going to see pre-snap, like you know exactly what you're going to get once the ball is snapped. And so, man, I, I would have loved to uh, – to have played in some of these offenses. And, and John, you can count the Cleveland Browns as the same. Kevin Stefanski's offense is is much like, um, you know, their outside zone running and and being able to get on the perimeter and and really have wide-open holes that that we've seen. Really, when I think about it, only from the Denver Broncos and Kyle Shanahan, not Kyle Mike Shanahan, Kyle's dad back then, the teams that I played against, with Clint Portis and those teams, that's what this has reminded me of, teams like, as you just mentioned, uh, the Browns and, and other teams that are able to run the football like that. Yeah, the Browns are averaging over 200 yards rushing a game right now, and uh, Stefanski's done a sensational job in getting them to 3-1. and one. He really has. I mean, they're, they're fun to watch, and they've gotten Odell Beckham Jr. involved which we've been waiting on this. You know, it's like, man, you bring this guy over, you trade for him, and then you don't use him. Uh, it's good to see that Kevin Stefanski is finding a way to use one of the best weapons in the National Football League. And if they continue that with the way that they can run the football, uh, now obviously Chubb being out is huge for them. But, man, they, they seem to, you know, they got Kareem Hunt, and then another guy came in and helped Kareem Hunt out and they just continue to roll in that backfield, so they're going to be difficult to deal with. I really think the Browns are a playoff team this season. Yeah, you went against this uh, when you were going against Mike Shanahan and Kyle Shanahan's even taking it to a different level, but that's the one thing, just like you mentioned, is that, uh, okay, sure, losing Nick Chubb is tough because he's one of the best running backs in the league, but whether it was Kyle or Mike, it didn't seem sometimes it mattered who the running back was. He would make it work. I mean, you saw that particularly in the last year in San Francisco because they went running back to running back to running back, and they still got the running game going. Absolutely, and and that's what speaks to an excellent system that you have in place. You know, it's kind of a plug-and-play system. Not to give any disrespect to those runners, because if you're running like that in the National Football League, you're doing something. Um, and so 
um, I just think it's, it's the scheme, but also having the linemen to be able to do that. If you remember, John, you know, Mike, they always, in Denver, they always had smaller linemen. So them guys can get out and move. They can get on the perimeter. And now we're seeing that again. Linemen are becoming more athletic so that they can get out uh, on the perimeter and be able to get to some of these fast linebackers that are flowing from sideline to sideline. The the Seahawks are using a little bit more pre-snap motion, too. They're like about 15th or 16th in the league right now as far as the percentage use of it. Uh, what do you think of a back like Chris Carson? Well, I, I love uh, what Chris Carson brings to the game. For one, um, you, you think about Brian Schottenheimer's system, and, you know, obviously I play with Brian and play for his dad, Marty. And the one thing that they're going to have is a, a running back – that can run between the tackles, especially power football. And Chris Carson does that better than anybody in the National Football League. He breaks tackles uh, in between the tackles. The first man hardly ever brings him down. And the thing that I like the most is he's starting to show his his uh, dexterity by receiving the football now, catching the ball out the backfield. He's scoring uh, receiving touchdowns now. So that's good to see as he continues to uh, boost his game. I think it only helps that offense out. Mm-hmm. What do you think of the uh, Seahawks offense and what Russell Wilson's doing? Oh, man, it's it's incredible. You know, Russell is really, you know, he's the best point guard in the game, speaking, you know, when you think about being able to dish the ball um, to all players, getting everybody involved, having total control of that offense, always uh, being under control and having great, uh, you know, composure back there. It just, it, it, it seems like nothing flusters Russell. And then in the biggest times of the game, he always seems to come through and deliver for his football team. And, you know, it's just amazing that his career has continued to uh, get better and better where, you know, you you figure – I remember a couple of years ago, John, people were questioning, oh, man, why are the Seahawks, you know, getting rid of the Legion of Boom? Why are they letting these guys go? You know, they're putting it all on Russell. It's too much for him. Well, it hasn't been too much for him because he's handled difficult situations and been able to keep that team afloat even when things around him has constantly changed. And that's the sign of a great leader. That's the sign of a winner. And I really believe Seattle has a great chance to to make it to the Super Bowl this year. Yeah, I mean, that offense is really clicking. But that's the thing. I mean, I, I, I have to say it just about every day on the air several times. Uh, and, of course, you, you get the big picture because you look at it from all around the league, and I look at it from all around the league. You know, people say, well, the defense is terrible. Every defense is doing pretty bad right now. I know Indianapolis yeah. is doing well, but particularly if you're an NFC team and you have all these experienced quarterbacks, you know, 12 of them that are making over $21 million a year, they're just going to pick you apart with the way offenses are going against defenses this year. Yeah, no question about it. I mean, it's, it's difficult even in terms of the rules of the game and the way it's, the game is is refereed and all those kind of things. It is. It puts the offense in uh, a vantage point of view. Um, and so defenses are trying to catch up. But at the same time, I'm optimistic for Seattle because, remember, one of their best players is not in the lineup right now. You know, when you when you think about missing a guy like Jamal Adams being on the back end, the enforcer, a leader, 
you know, you're going you're gonna to suffer a little bit. And so as they get more healthier and they play as a unit, and when we start looking at December and January and playoff time, let's see what the defense looked like then. I guarantee you they will be playing a lot better because it's really not about the beginning. They want to be playing their best football in December. Final thought, and you brought this up about the uh, way offici- games are being officiated, where there's basically maybe 12, an average of 12 uh, penalty calls a game, and holding penalties, really, I think it was 104 holding penalties in the first four weeks that were marched off. What does that do for the quarterback? What does that do for the offense, having that few a number of holding penalties? Well, it obviously allows you to uh, stay in rhythm and, and continue that offensive tempo that you that you want to have. Um, out there, you know, we always talk about penalties and, and our, our drive killers. You hear that all the time. That's a term that is used widely around the National Football League because it is. Because offense is about momentum. The more you have the ball, the better you are. The more plays you run, the more you can wear down a defense, the more you get in sync and in rhythm as an offensive unit. That's why you want to run as many plays as possible. And penalties, they, they just kill drives, and they don't allow you to stay on the field and get that rhythm that, that we so love to have on offense. That's great stuff. Of course, Ladanian in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, deservedly so. You can follow him at LT underscore, that the little line, the 21. And, of course, Thursday Night Football is continuing this week. Good game. Bucks and Chicago Bears. You'll see it on Fox, NFL Network, and Amazon Prime Video. Hey, Ladanian, it's always great to talk to you. Great job. Thank you, John. Great to talk to you as well. The great Ladanian Tomlinson. Hey, be sure to check out the Professor's Notes at 710sports.com. The Professor's Notes are brought to you by Infinity of Tacoma at Fife. Coming up next, we're going to go behind the lines, catch you up on what's going on in the National Football League. John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On demand with the 710 Seattle Sports app. Well, I'm curious to see what they're all going to do as far as the uh, Tennessee Titans, because uh, to me, I mean, you talk about a total breakdown in protocol and how the communication is, whether the players you know, did not listen to uh, management, management didn't tell them where it is. So uh, I can understand right now there's a reluctance for the uh, NFL to do a forfeiture. I mean, forfeiture should be considered, but, uh, you know, that's one that... Uh, you can see, and by the way, Paul Kuharski found out a little bit more on this. They had one workout. Uh, they've, they've had a total of maybe three workouts, uh, one at NBA and two at Rose Park. And so after being warned in the beginning, no group gatherings, they end up doing this. And so I don't know, Curtis Rogers, is it, uh, you know, what type of penalties do you think should come down both on the players and also the team for getting this to a point now where you have 24 violations, or 24 total players and uh, staff members getting uh, the COVIDs. I, th- I think the players obviously involved have to be fined some undisclosed amount, or I don't know if there's a, a dollar figure that would make anybody satisfied with all of this because it was such a, a preventable situation. Like, guys, you got, or the Titans at least got the notice from the NFL on the 29th saying, hey, don't meet in person outside of any sort of team function because right now you guys have a positive COVID test. And then the very next day you get this group of, what is it, 15 guys that were mm-hmm. out practicing uh, trying to stay loose. And it's like, what 
what are you doing? You just said, or you just heard from the NFL 24 hours ago to not do this. You're doing it, and you get spotted doing that too. I mean, it's just inexcusable. It, it's. I think the biggest problem that people have with this is that they went ahead and had a practice, or at least a workout, with a group of players when they were specifically told not to. That is the biggest problem I have with this because yeah, you can catch COVID any old way. Like it, it's not something. It, it's not something that is you know a specific group of people get it. Everybody gets it. It, it is not something that. Uh, is just, you know, if you're in shape, you could have a chance of getting it. If you're out of shape, same thing. And so the Titans just did not understand that, or they just disregarded it, and now they're causing not just themselves to have a huge scheduling quagmire here, but also the Bills, the Steelers, all sorts of teams. There's a domino effect here. They're ruining most team seasons in the AFC right now because there's no... There's no idea if they're going to play. So I think I would not be surprised if forfeiture is on the table here because at some point they may have too many games they need to to make up here and they're running out of time. Yeah, no doubt. But that's the thing is like the, <clears throat> there's a money aspect to this. There's a competitive aspect to this for forfeiture because one of the things that the players have right now, if they forfeit, the players still get paid. And, of course, that's for both teams. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's like, and then you don't get the re- potential revenue from the TV, all those different things. Can You can understand where that's going to be an issue. But, uh, you know, at some point, they just got to figure this out. And, you know, I, I, I could, uh, you know, if the, but the penalties have to be huge. I mean, if, if there's not multiple draft choices taken away from the Titans, because this is totally inexcusable. And I think what's also inexcusable is that, you know, they haven't gone to the position that it's like, okay, let's go ahead and, uh, you know, go into a hotel and, you know, take everybody away because, uh, you know, they, they should have done that because the players, obviously, they didn't listen to anything or they didn't know anything because now, according to Paul Kuharski, uh, there's at least three times that this team went out and practice. And it only makes sense in the standpoint, if you're going to be, you know, basically quarantined like this team's supposed to be, you can't have 15 players on a football field. Yeah, you absolutely cannot. And uh, especially because they knew that there was a case of COVID within that locker room and, and not adhering to the COVID protocols of the NFL and going ahead and having a practice outside of the team facility. I mean, it was just a recipe for disaster, and sure enough, that's where we're at. This is a, a disaster scenario for the NFL uh, to the point where you know there's there's real questions as to when the Titans will be able to even meet again, let alone yeah. play again. Like there, it's it, this is now two weeks of this that, that it's inexcusable, and I think a forfeiture. Uh, I'd be okay with that. I don't think anybody else would. Yeah, I would too. Yeah. Cause... I mean, because again, what it is, it's going, you know, let's say, for example, I mean, it, if that's the case, it should almost be two forfeitures, but I think that they're pretty secure in having that Pittsburgh, Tennessee game. But, you know, now you create a potential week 18 and you push the playoffs back. But the, it's like you also give the Titans a chance to heal up from all these positive tests. Yeah. And, you know, if. The NFL does a drastic measure and, and basically pauses an entire week's worth of games for every team in the NFL just so the Titans can catch up. I mean, that's that that's kind of punishing everybody for something that only Tennessee did here. And I don't think that's very fair to organizations that have 
uh, been, you know, following protocol, been compliant with the NFLs. You know, the Seahawks are among the best teams uh, as far as we know. There have been no reported COVID cases uh, during the regular season. There was just the one with John Ursua in the preseason, um, but that turned out to be a false positive. So it, it looks as though they're, they're, the majority of teams are adhering to this. They should not be punished for the incompetence of one team that uh, clearly did not prioritize uh, staying healthy because, I mean, there's an obvious domino effect here. Oh, yeah, no doubt. And it's a very, very bad situation and one that, uh, you know, the league, I don't know how long it's going to take to be able to figure this out, but they better do something without any question. Uh, definitely. Tonight, John, we've got the Bucks and Bears in Thursday night football rematch, uh, at least of the quarterbacks in mm-hmm. that game uh, with Nick Foles and Tom Brady. Obviously, two very different teams from that classic matchup but bucks they've won three in a row the bears lost their first game how do you see this one shaking out uh i'd, I'd see right now the tampa bay well i'll tell you what i mean tampa i mean tampa bay is a better team than chicago without question but what i'm also looking at is that uh you know you've got so many injuries right now for the tampa bay offense i mean they're down two running backs leonard fournette and uh, shady mccoy you know they are down their one of their best receivers chris godwin there's a chance that mike evans may miss the game oj howard their second best tight end he won a tour in achilles and so that's a lot to take away from the offense and so that's where i kind of wonder was it where where is that all going to go yeah, and that's going to be a lot of production they need oh, yeah. to uh, to pick back up here. But I still think even with all those guys missing, Tampa Bay's better than Chicago. Agreed. Yeah, and right now Tampa Bay, as we all thought, playoff team, and at the moment it looks like they have a great chance to win the division. Yeah, because that NFC South, the Saints, not exactly, no. uh, not exactly the contender we thought they were. Not exactly, and of course, coming up next, we're going to chat with Michael Bumpus, get his thoughts on you know Snacks Harrison, the Seahawks offense, everything else. This game against Minnesota. It's the John Clayton Show, seven ten ESPN Seattle.